We're in Luke chapter 5. We're studying the life of Christ according to the words of Luke, the physician. Where have we been so far? We've looked at... <laughs> you want to wave your hand, Jonah? She's looking for you. <laughs> Welcome. We've looked at the pre-life of John the Baptist and then his birth. And almost simultaneously, we looked at the pre-life of Jesus Christ and then his birth. We looked at the beginning of Christ's life, one particular instant in the middle of his childhood, pre-teen, maybe 12 or 13. Uh, the incident at the temple where his parents left him because he was busy doing the work of his father. And then we come to the actual start of his ministry and the lukewarm or cold reception he got in Nazareth. And now we're in Capernaum. We saw interesting things two weeks ago or a week ago uh, in Capernaum, a city in Galilee. We saw the healing of someone with a demon. We saw somebody touched and raised up from a fever. And now we're taking a little bit different turn. And I've called this a career change. We're going to look at people's changing the careers. Anybody here ever had to do that? Nowadays, it seems like nobody works at the same place all their career. Things are so fluid. Uh, I just changed once in my so-called career. But, you know, some people, they don't, where you work now? Well, I work at home. I do this. I do that. Well, that is something going on here, a career change in a very special way that we're going to see. Still the ministry of Christ, but now we're going to see a different turn in that ministry. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. <laughs> there are attempts over the last several hundred years to define who Jesus is. Uh, if you go back to the 19th century, there was a movement called the historical Jesus. What it really was, was an effort to <laughs> 
dissuade any belief in the historical Jesus. They were trying to redefine who this historical Jesus was. It amounted to a non-divine and a non-supernatural interpretation of Jesus. In the 20th century, our friend back there might be able to correct me, a guy named Rudolf Boltman. Is that correct, Brother Joel? He's our German guru here. He was part of a group that were talking about demythologizing Jesus Christ. What they sought to in their teaching to do was to strip away much of the biblical record, leaving little or nothing of the life of Christ. This passage here would have been struck in their opinion because this is a miracle that's taking place here. The end of the 20th century, not too long ago, there was something called the Jesus Seminar. A lot of so-called scholars got together and they actually voted on which of Jesus's sayings were authentic. I am not taking a poll here to ask you which of his sayings are, are authentic. The word of God is clear on that. These efforts to change the interpretation of the word of God are exactly that to treat it as something less than the historical record of the Son of God and his power. Luke doesn't do that. He's revealing very clearly to us who Jesus is. He is a God-man who has power unlike anybody else. And in this short passage, we're going to see at least three of his attributes here as God slash man. These things would have been left out with these other movements. He is fully human. I don't ask me how to explain this, but he's also fully God. You say, well, who ever heard of that? Nobody. This is the only example of that. There's not a pattern to look to before the life of Christ. There's not a pattern to look to now subsequent to the life of Christ. He was and is the one and only. He acted and talked like a man. We're going to see that right here in this passage to some degree, which he was, but he was so much more. He was also God. We see that here. Well, he sets a divine appointment, if you will, in this passage. Luke is telling us this story, I believe, so we'll weigh this proof of who Jesus is. And not to come to a conclusion and say we won the argument, but to tell you and me, this is who we ought to follow. Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah these Jews were looking for. He's the one we ought to follow. Notice in our passage here, it says, on one occasion, might as well have said, well, it just so happened. <laughs> There's nothing like that in the history of God. It doesn't just accidentally happen. This is a preordained incident. We want to say, now it happened, period. And then we have the verses following after this. He's still in Galilee around Capernaum. He's preaching and healing, and he's before great crowds, a goodly number of them. And he gets into the situation here where he's up against it. He's even being crowded somewhat. The first century historian, Josephus, have you heard of him? You can find references to him throughout a lot of good commentaries. 
He estimated that the population of Galilee at this time was 3 million people. We think, we think ancient times could be nothing like our times, but there were a lot of people there. And what's going on? These people heard about gifted speakers. They didn't sit down and hit the computer. They didn't turn the TV on. They went to hear them. And that's what's happened when they hear about Christ. They're going to go and hear him. This is significant. They knew of this gifted speaker and they wanted to hear him. He was speaking unlike anybody else. John 7 says that no one ever spoke like this man. Truly, he was, I hate to even use the term, I don't want to be demeaning. Truly, he was the goat, the greatest of all time. Hear that thrown around a lot, especially in sports these days. He was the greatest, and a lot of people realized that, and they crowded to hear him. And in this particular situation here, it gets a little crowded. The crowds were pressing in on him to hear what he had to say. What a blessing. Wouldn't it be good to have a day like that here when people would press into this church to hear what was being preached because it's the word of God from on high. We ought to pray to that end. He's by this place called Gennesaret. You know where that is? It's the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. It's just called Gennesaret here and I think just one other place in the scriptures. Uh, John later refers to it in his gospel. Now you remember he wrote a good many years after these people did into the late first century, and he called it the Sea of Tiberias. In the Old Testament, this same place is called uh, Kinneroth, but it's the same place, Gennesaret, Galilee, Tiberias. It was this sea, and a lot of the activity that Christ took place in in his teaching was around this area. They came to hear the word of God, and they were pressing in on him. That Look at what that says there. The people sought him and came to him and they went there to hear. They, he said, I must preach the kingdom and he came to them to teach them, especially we read the good news of the kingdom of God. He, that's right before we get here. He comes and he preaches and it says they wanna hear the word of God. Please, that is not a synonym for the scriptures, okay? When we talk about the word of God, that's probably what we're talking about. Do you have your copy of the word of God with you? What we're talking about here in this first verse of chapter five is the word of God. This man is speaking to us from God. What a difference that makes when you go hear somebody like that. That's what we hear. That's that interpretation of that verse in chapter five. They were coming because God was speaking to them. Have you ever been in a worship service like that? <laughs> you walk out of there, you don't even see anybody near you. You are laser focused on what you heard, a word from God. Sometimes the spirit does that to us. These people, that was happening here. This word, description of the word of God indicates the source, not this written typed book, but the source. God is speaking here in the person of Jesus Christ. Wow, wow. And how is he speaking? He's speaking the good news of salvation. He's talking about forgiveness. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about eternal life. Friends, if you've been in this church, at least back before January, 
this ought to be hitting home with you. Do you know how many deaths we've experienced in this congregation in the last six, seven, eight months? A lot of people have gone on. Eternal life is real. We come here, we commiserate with those who have lost their loved ones. We turn around and it seems to happen again. It's the truth. When we're born, we begin to die. Christ has the word for that, the word of eternal life. He has the truth because he is the truth incarnate in the flesh. You know that from any other gospel? Well, Christ, when he talked about himself, said he's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. No man comes to the Father but by him. He's the word of truth throughout the gospel of John. <laughs> that verse is in John 1. It's also spoken of in John 7, in John 8, and in John 12, time and time again. He is the truth. Our world, <laughs> they have a problem with that. Uh, we have we live in a society where people talk about, well, that's your truth. Have you ever heard that? Heard that from a lady who has a talk show on TV. Your truth. My friend, there's only one truth. There can only be, and part of our society's collapse is that there is no truth. We've made it shifting sand around our country and our culture. This one has come to speak the truth. The problem is, we, in our broken, in our unbelieving situation, don't want to believe it. But these people are hearing it, and in many regards, they're believing it. They were there for the right reason, okay? They didn't go at this particular point to be fed. You know, there were some people who were doing that. Did you hear what he did? He took a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread and fed 5,000 people. Or he fed 4,000 people and then they took up 12 baskets of fragments left over. We need to go there. We're going to get fed. Now they were here to hear the word of God speaking from God. He had done this in the synagogue. He had done this in the temple in Judea. He had done this on the mountaintop in Matthew 5. He had done this in a house. We saw that here. In Luke, he does it in the desert. He does it even in a cemetery. In John, you can read about that. And here, he does it along the sea. Verse two said he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them were washing their nets. Look at Jesus' practical wisdom here in this next couple of verses. He gets in the boats. The fishermen were gone. He jumps in there. Well, what's he doing? Well, first of all, he has the authority to do that. We see that in just a minute. He's not trying to steal them. He's trying to get to a place to minister in a proper way. Any of you with fishermen here? There's one, two. My father never was, so I never took to fishing. Nobody took me. They say when you get out on the lake, especially early in the morning, the acoustics are great across the water. You can yell to somebody at the dock when you're up at the upper end and they can hear you. That's part of what's going on here. On the lake, the acoustics were better. And so he needs to get out there, that and to get away from the pressing crowd so he could you know, actually see them and interact with them. He is doing a practical thing here. This isn't just happenstance. 
And look what it says. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put out a little from the land. I need a little space here. Simon. Who is Simon? Yes, it's Peter. Uh, don't miss that. It's interesting to study names in the scripture. Here he's called Simon. Later, in the next couple of verses, he'll be called what? Simon Peter. And then later, especially when we get into the book of Acts, of course, later in the Gospels too, he's just called Peter, who Christ will build his church in front of. He's called the rock when Christ talks about that. I won't get into that right now. now this was a situation here. What does it say about him? He sat down. What do we know about that from looking at Christ in the, in the temple before this? What's he doing? Yes. He sat down there and they knew, oh, he's got something to say. Let's listen to him. He sat down in the position to teach. We saw that in Luke 4. You can see it in Matthew 1 as well. He's got something to say. <laughs> There's a great interest in listening to him. And he sat down to teach them. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. This is so interesting. What is going on here? How many fishermen are around here? Well, there's at least four with just the two boats. But this area was known as a fishing area. All around the lake, there were many groups that went out and fished this lake. This wasn't the only one who, could, who had a boat and was going to do this. Christ is coming directly into Peter's life. He could have chosen James, John, Andrew. He could have gone around the other side of the lake, chose somebody else. He comes to Peter, says to him, listen, I want you to go out a little ways into the, into the lake. He has a direct purpose in doing this. Don't overlook that. You know, this, their first actual calling, these men, was before this, but it was in a more casual way. They followed after him to hear his teaching, to be close to the one who was ministering. This call that's taking place here is going to be an effectual call to change their occupation. Now, this is different. Jesus is stepping into their lives, not just with the word of truth that they heard before. He's stepping into their lives now to call them to a commitment, saving grace and discipleship. God acts like that. We... Uh, <laughs> I spoke about that last Friday at the men's Bible study in Acts chapter nine. If you don't believe in election, please take chapter nine out of your Bibles. God came and he stopped uh, Paul on the road to Damascus and all he could say was, who are you, Lord? Who are you? He came and called him. God is doing that here in Jesus Christ. He came to call Simon. It is not a happenstance thing. He's now here in this boat. He sits down to teach. He has an interest. He's going to gather together here his chosen men and he's going to go with Peter. Luke alone records this incident. That doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it false. It just gives you a different interpretation that Luke gives you rather than the other gospels. There's an aside to this that I don't want you, I, 
I debated about whether to use that word aside. That sounds like something extra that <laughs> we can do without. I don't want you to think that. There is something to consider about this. We must hear what Jesus says. Just because you were in the morning worship or because you go to the next worship doesn't mean that you'll hear what Jesus says. We need to look past Rick Phillips or whoever else is gracing the pulpit here and hear our God. That's what's taking place here. We see Peter hearing and it's gonna change things totally in his life. What do I mean by that for us? Well, besides the worship service, do you study the word of God? I don't mean do you just read it. Do you study the word of God to hear what he has to say to you? Do you join in groups like our men's and ladies' Bible studies, uh, like the production you had yesterday here, ladies? Join in fellowship and study of the word of God. Do you come here to hear it on Wednesday or any other, and Sunday, of course? Do you hear the one who's speaking the word? Here, the person who had heard most clearly was in all probability the pilot of the boat, Peter. <laughs> He's right here behind, beside him. He had to hear this. It's interesting. He needed to hear this. He needed to hear. He's already known about Jesus, but now Jesus has designs on him to go further in his relationship. He needed to hear. It's a dangerous thing to be in between. You know, you, you might have even had some relatives that have attended worship service. They heard, but they didn't really hear, did they? I've had relatives like that who heard the word spoken, but never really had it come into their hearts for many years. Peter was kind of in between until this incident here. It is dangerous, someone said, to listen and not become disciples. You know, our brother here, I told you a number of times, goes downtown Main Street every week to proclaim the gospel to people. It is sad when they walk away and a lot of them put up a barrier immediately. They don't want to talk about it. Some hear it and they go away. We never see them here. They hear, but they don't hear. They don't really comprehend. Well, that's the setting here. And now we see in verses four and five, we go a little bit further there. <coughs> Excuse me. And when he had finished speaking, talking about the teaching portion, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. We have here a divine request in the second place, in this background we have here. It is going to be met. Now, Peter has a little, it's like he said, you know, he didn't say this audibly or we'd be recorded here. You're a carpenter. Do you not know we fish at night? We've come back in. We haven't got a thing. And you're telling us to go back out? Brother, here I found out it's an accountant. It's like me going to tell Doug, you know, really, that needs to go on the other side of the ledger, brother. Do you not know that? Dennis, what's your background? I work for the post office. I can count postage. Hey, tell me, get lost, right? Really? 
If we go down to see the Braves, be like me saying to Brian Snitker, the manager, I want to talk to you. I don't like the way you're using your pitching staff, and I don't think it's going to turn out well. <laughs> Brian Snitker would snicker. <laughs> really? What do you know about baseball? I played it all the years I grew up. I got up to the high high school. <laughs> you know, can you imagine the astonishment? He says, Peter, I want you to do this. Take those nets, go out into the deep and let them down for a catch. What's Peter's reaction? Initially, he says, okay, but you know we haven't caught any. But it's like Christ said, go fish. He puts up a little bit of a, you know, well, do you know? <laughs> we did this all night. It didn't work. But what follows? What, pardon? Obedience. Obedience. Amen. Obedience. You know, I'll tell you a place where this might strike you. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm not putting him up as a great guy here necessarily. But he does not have to divvy up 20 people to go out and witness every week on the street. Not that many of us go with him to go downtown and witness. How many of us have gone to our next door neighbor and said, I'd like to tell you something. Do you go to church? Blah, blah, blah. I've been praying about this and trying this with the guy that lives right beside me. He's a bachelor. He works uh, 12 hour days, five days a week, or maybe less than that on Friday. But I never see him. He was out washing his truck yesterday. I said, Sean, how you doing? Hey, went right back to washing. He would not turn around, would not put the hose down. I cannot get into the conversation with him. Do we look for those kind of opportunities? Or the first thing we say is, you know, <laughs> I'm not very good at that. What do you mean you're not good at that? Aren't you a believer? Didn't Jesus save you? That's the good news that you have and I have that you can share. You don't have to go down here and refute Rudolph Boltman or these other people. All you have to do is tell what Jesus did for you. Can you imagine? <clears throat> well, we'll get to that later. He says to Peter, put out, let's go. What has Christ said for you to do in his word? I don't mean necessarily you specifically where you live, but what has he told you to do? <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't think we generally appreciate the advice of other people who aren't in our line of work. <laughs> uh, he would probably ask me, Dennis, it's good to see you, but don't you have something to do? You know, leave me alone before these books get messed up. Peter's answer here, listen what he says. Verse five, what does he say to Jesus? Master, we toiled all night. What has changed here? What has changed? Well, something's changed just in the way Peter addresses Jesus here. He doesn't call him anything he called him before. He calls him here, master, master, rabbi, teacher, okay? That's gonna take a significant turn in a minute, even away from that. Master, he acknowledges his ability to teach, his ability to share things of knowledge that Peter doesn't have, but he leaves it there. He has reluctance. This is the wrong time to fish. I don't know, maybe he had a tone in his voice like, 
are you serious kind of tone? <laughs> this isn't to, but as our sister said, he obeys. He doesn't quite comprehend. He doesn't consider that Jesus is omniscient. What does that mean? He knows everything. I don't think he actively considers that when Jesus tells him to put out. What does that mean? Jesus knows where the fish are. <laughs> he knows exactly where they are. Why don't you listen? And Peter does. He knows where the fish are, when they'll be there. Oh, ordinarily, they're down there in the bottom of the lake during the day, but they're going to be up here by the boat, Peter. Throw the nets out. Are you ever in a situation like that? You know, I don't know what to do about this. Well, what does the word of God say? What has Jesus spoken to us? Peter goes. Think about the cost of this now. This isn't a casual thing here. He has done manual labor all night long. And do you appreciate people that do that for you? We have people who man fire trucks, ambulances, the hospitals all night long while we're sleeping. Do we appreciate that? We don't just stomp over them in life, okay? He has lifted these heavy nets, spread them out so they could dry, mended the ones that need to be mended, and now you tell me to pick them back up and put them on there, go out and drop them again. I'm just going to have to dry them out again. <laughs> he might have said a lot of things like that. He's perhaps confused. Where am I going to drop them? There's no fish this kind of time of day. And maybe <laughs> there's embarrassment. There's other fishermen around. Peter, he doesn't know anything about fishing. Are you really going to do that? But Peter does. He obeys. Jesus moves him to go against everything that he knows from life experience, perhaps from science, from these other fishermen. Peter is moved to go against what he thinks he should do. We may be moved by God like that. To go against, I've done that all my life. Why would I change? Because the word tells you to. Peter says, I will do it as you say. Maybe when he said that, he thought to himself, well, you healed my mother-in-law. You must be worth listening to. Isn't that what happened earlier in chapter four? At his rebuke, the fever left Peter's mother-in-law. Maybe that's what moved him. He shows Peter that his life is not his own. Do you as a Christian know that? <laughs> Your life, my life, they're not ours. God has claims on us. Even if you're not a believer, he has claims on you and me as a creator. We are here because he ordained it. He made us. He put us here. There's a clear demonstration of this omniscience here. He knows what he's doing. Please remember, this is Peter who's working here. What he knows, and he knows well, God gives him a direction that throws him a curve. We need to remember that our whole life belongs to God. Your employment, your family, your church, every aspect of your life, they belong to God. He be you know, we belong to him, lock, stock, and barrel. <laughs> the tension here is settled. 
The tension between being told to do something he knows isn't the way to do it. And should I do it? That tension is settled by his obedience. Friends, this is a lot of problems like that in our lives are settled when we obey the word of God. Well, look at verses six and seven. The divine request is given and now God in Jesus Christ orchestrates the answer. And what attribute of God is this? You can answer as I read this. Simon did what he was said. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he had a definite reaction. The answer is in verses six and seven. What attribute of Jesus Christ is demonstrated here? He not only has the omniscience to know where the fish are, what else does he have? He has the omnipotence to say, get here, fish, get here, fish. (laughs) That sounds almost cartoonish to say it like that. And I don't mean to be flippant at all. But you've got to remember in Exodus chapter three, I think it was, the locusts obey God, didn't they? The fleas or whatever they were came upon the Egyptians by the word of God. All of those plagues in the book of Exodus came at the word of God. Why couldn't he deliver fish? Well, he could and he did in such an abundance. Look what it says. These two boats, uh, what do you think about when when you read that? What kind of boats are these? All right, fishing boats. These are boats that were about 27 feet long. Three plus times your size laid out there, Brother Heinrich. (laughs) And they're about seven feet wide. They were big enough for the 12 disciples to sit in with Jesus at a time or two. And that and the boat next to it were filled so full they began to sink. God answers over and abundantly what we ask or think. He, I believe, wanted Peter and the world around there to know who's in control. Not arrogantly, but at the word of the Lord, this thing takes place. The fish are there in a super abundant quantity. Psalm 62 says this, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. Do you believe that? Do you ever come here Wednesday night considering that? We have a list, a trifold of requests. We need to remember when we come and pray, power belongs to God. Daniel 4, we read this, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? We can't do that. Or in our case, what? why haven't you done something? He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. All power is his. He'll use it the way he feels. These 27 feet long boats began to sink. How many fish do you think it took? <laughs> you had to have a catch like that at Joe Cassie or Lake Hartwell? I doubt it. Basically, we don't have to be worried about filling the basket that you carry with you. This is what? 
This is a miracle taking place here from the hand of God. This is Jesus' power over nature. You know that, right? Do you pray like that? God, I have a disease. God, I have this wrong with me, that wrong with me. You're the, you're the great physician. You're the great God. You do miracles. He has power over nature and just with his word. And Peter sees this. We need to believe and trust as well like this. Uh, God will and he did direct the fish. Another place it talks about him, answers to prayer. He giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's about the answer right here in this incident. This was enough to feed thousands, or not thousands, but to feed a great number of people. It was more than enough for these two boats and their crews to take care of. It is a miracle, an event that appears to be neither a part nor a result of any known natural law. This doesn't happen. It does if God's speaking. This is one of those. It's a visible answer to the question of the power of the word of God. You want to know what power his word has here is a demonstration of it. He is deity. He has delivered this in his omnipotence and his omniscience. What's Peter's reaction? <laughs> Pardon? He did. He did. What, what goes through his mind? This man is holy. You know, this happens a lot of times in scripture. You ought to read the history of this incident. This, you come face to face with God. You don't have any choice but to do this. Do you remember in Genesis 18, Abraham is interceding for Sodom. He's face to face with God and he leads his prayer with words like, I'm only dust and ashes, please hear me. May I come into your presence with this request, etc., etc." In Job, after God dealt with him, he said this, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He saw God for who he was, a holy God. He saw that. Genesis 50, or Psalm 51, we read this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Isaiah 57, let me leave this one with you in this particular point. The one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Our friend Peter recognized that. By the word of his power, he recognized you're holy. And in addition to that, what else? I'm not. He couldn't even stand in the presence of Jesus. Can you imagine? The others were astonished. You read that in verse 10. I'm going to hurry along. That would include James and John, the owners of one of those boats. What's significant about this? Who are Peter, James, and John? Disciples. They're being definitely called here. In Jesus' ministry, where do they fit? They're part of his inner circle, if you will, these men here. These men who are fishermen, they don't have the education of Paul. They haven't been any kind of religious leaders in Jerusalem or in Israel. 
and he calls them. And he says, fear not, you will be catching men. What happens here is a move from repentance to service. My question to you, is that true of your life? You repented, you believed, you were perhaps a member here. Does that drive you to serve the one who saved you? I hope and pray it does. It may not be like exactly these guys, these apostles, but we're all called to be fishers of men. We know that from Matthew chapter 28. With God, please remember this, it is all or nothing. We are not halfway Christians. Oh, I, sometimes we backslide, but we are going to be Christians or you're not. You're either for me or against me. How does your life turn out? What does it demonstrate? So Peter and the others there are called to leave behind this, <laughs> this uh, life of a fisherman to go and catch men. The words there in the Greek means living. The text of the Greek verb there is they'll be living. You catch the fish, you bring them in. You don't go put them in the koi pond at home to keep them alive, do you? You take them, eat them, or sell them to somebody. But the verb used here is the men you're going to go catch. This is living men. We're going to teach them about eternal life. Well, let me just ask you, is there anything you need to leave behind in your service to Jesus Christ? For some people, it's career. Some people, it's friends. Some people, it's a false religion. Do you or I have to leave anything behind? Any questions or comments? No? <laughs> I'll leave that with you. Pray for me. If I drive to Atlanta this week, I need grace. I need protection. <laughs> and if I'm not here next week, Lord willing, I'll see you in two weeks. Thank you. Appreciate your attention.